Well, we're wrapping up this series this morning, this time of your life series, and it feels like we've been talking about it since like last year or something, but we have because we started uh, that last Sunday in December. Uh, we're going to wrap it up today, but the, the, the truth is this, that time is a really important subject. Uh, it's an important subject for every single one of us because everyone here, we all have a start date and an end date. Every one of us has a start date and an end date. Each of us has limited time right here on this earth. And we're not simply talking about time here, but one of the things that we do at Genesis Church is we look to God's Word, we look to Scripture to see what God's truth has to say to us about some really important things that pertain to our life. And this subject is same. Well, there's a verse that we've referred to over the last few weeks, um, and, and it's found in Psalm chapter 90. And if you've got your Bibles and, and you want to follow along, go to Psalm chapter 90, uh, right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 90 is a prayer. Uh, it's a prayer spoken by Moses to God. He copied down these words for us to read, and he's talking about time. And, and I think these are great words worth memorizing uh, for every single one of us. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, Moses prayed this prayer. God, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God, teach us to number our days. Teach us to realize, to be in the know, that we all have a limited amount of time. I, I like what the New Living Translation uh, says. God, teach me to make the most of my time. What a great prayer. What a great prayer for any of us to pray. You know, God, teach me to live with this awareness that my days here are numbered. You know, we only get so much time. You know, we only get so much time. And God promises to give wisdom to those who live with such knowledge. Now, what does that wisdom lead to? That wisdom leads to better choices. Because when you pray and you pray regularly, God, teach me to make the most of my time, you're going to make better choices about what you do and don't do with your time. You're going to better discern the significant things and the less significant things of life. You know, when we live as if our days are numbered, you and I are going to make better choices about our priorities and, and what to do with our time. Because we only get one time around. You and I, we only get one life to live. So let's make the most of it. And so Moses lived with this urgency. He lived with this reality, realizing that his days were numbered. And so he prayed that God would help him to make the most of his time. But Moses realized something else. And he expands on this in Psalm 90. And you can read it for yourself if you like. We talked about it a few weeks ago. And this is pretty important. But Moses knew and realized that in God's story... That is all of eternity, that's everlasting to everlasting. Moses realized that in the grand picture, the grand scheme of all things that have ever been and ever would be, that Moses, that he got one itty bitty teeny tiny part in this larger story. Just one little fraction of a part of this larger story that God has been revealing all through creation. And therefore Moses knew and realized that the only way to truly find meaning and purpose in life was to make the most of the little bit of time he had been given. And so we all have a start date. We've all got an end date. We've all got limited time. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about right priorities. And if you've missed some of the weeks of this series, we'd encourage you to go to our podcast or you can pick up a CD back at the info. But a couple of weeks ago, we talked about right priorities and how our first priority has to be God. That, that he's got to be the first in the jar. That we've got to make God the first priority in our life. Because the crazy thing that happens when you make God the first priority in your life, everything tends to kind of fall into its rightful place. That's just one of the things that God does for us. It's the perspective that he gives us. Last week, Josh talked about wise choices and making the most of our time and not giving your life over to things that really don't matter. And this morning, I want to wrap it all up by talking, by going back once more just 
to the whole point of this subject, this whole theme of making the most of the time of your life. And to do that, I want to spend some time kind of in a survey, a quick flyby of the book of Ecclesiastes. And so if you're still in the book of Psalms, uh, go to the right, a couple of more books, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It's a great book. If you've never read through it before, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, There are a whole bunch of ideas and themes that come right out of this book uh, that we see around us all the time. You hear people using similar language. You'll you'll hear it in a song. You might read it in a writing or something. You'll hear about it in pop culture. You know, this book is so unique because of who wrote it and why he wrote it. And let me explain on that a little bit further. Uh, King Solomon is the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon was in the right position to write such a book on such an important topic. Uh, Solomon was the son of King David, uh, Solomon the third king of Israel. He reigned in Israel 3,000 years ago during a time that historians often referred to as the golden age of Israel. Uh, These were the great days uh, in the life of Israel. These were the good times. These were the glory days. And and Solomon was a gifted guy. Uh, He was absolutely brilliant, an architect, a scientist. Uh, He understood wealth. He understood finance and possessions. And Solomon was in this unique position where God had given him an extra ounce of wisdom. And so he had some greater insight given to him by God. And in fact, the Bible calls him the wisest person next to Jesus that had ever lived, had ever walked the earth. And and people realized this. Uh, They would come from all over the world just to ask ask him questions, just to get his insight, to get his perspective on various things. And and because Solomon reigned during this golden age uh, with peace on every border, uh, he was offered an advantage that most most kings didn't receive, and that was this, he didn't have to go off and fight wars. Uh, He didn't have to spend time dealing with conflict and dealing with these, these enemy nations. And so Solomon had the privilege of staying at home in order to think and to write and to think about subjects like he's going to talk about here in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so with all of this extra time that he had on his hands and with all of this wisdom, Solomon set out to ask a question, to answer a question that people ask today and people were asking even 3,000 years ago. The question was this, what's the purpose of life? What's, What's the purpose of life? What's life all about? And Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes to answer that question. So Ecclesiastes is his research project, and he was well-equipped to tackle this project because he had seen and experimented with just about everything that life on this earth had to offer. He experimented with marriage, uh, with pleasure, uh, with wealth and poverty, with construction and doing nothing. He, he was busy, so he knew what busyness was all about. He, he knew what it may, meant to, uh, to have free time. He examined the relationship between the poor and the rich. Uh, he examined the relationship between men and women. He examined the relationship between parents and their children. He, he looked at death and he looked at inheritance. And he examined all that life had to offer. And all along the way as he experimented with all these things, he kept asking himself this question, what's the purpose of life? What are we supposed to do with our time? What are we supposed to make out of this thing, this time, this time of our life that we've been given? And when he was all done, he wrote Ecclesiastes. So I'm going to hit some high points in the book of Ecclesiastes with you because we can't cover the whole book this morning. But again, I'd encourage you to carve out some time this week to read this book. Uh, Great book. It'll take you about 30, 45 minutes to read it from beginning to end. The book of Ecclesiastes begins with a thesis statement. 
Now, a thesis statement is important to anyone who wants to underscore uh, the meaning, uh, the whole point of the project. You might remember preparing one in high school or in college or something for a paper. And Solomon begins his work here with his thesis statement. Uh, Here is his conclusion about life as he has experienced and explored. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 through verse 3, here's what he says. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Israel, or king in Jerusalem. So this is Solomon now. Again, he's writing on the subject of what's the purpose of life. And here's what he says. Meaningless, meaningless. How's that for a start? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is absolutely meaningless. Now, if that's not an invitation to go home and grab your Snuggie and a cup of coffee and cozy up on the couch and read through this book, I, I don't know what is, right? But, but it's interesting because here's Solomon. He's the richest man that has ever lived uh, in the world. At, at this time, he's got everything and more than he could ever want or need. And he's completed this great project thinking through the purpose of life. And he concludes, meaningless. I've explored everything that life has to offer here in this world, and I've discovered that at the end of the day, it's absolutely meaningless. It's all meaningless. And then he asks a question in verse 3. He says, hey, what do people gain from all his labor? What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil, which he toils under the sun? You know, I can just see somebody at this time asking the question, oh, Solomon, well, what about my chariot collection, this classic chariot collection I have? You know, it's, it's parked out back undercover. I got it in the garage. What about that? Meaningless. It's pointless. In the grand scheme of things, it means nothing. Well, well, have you seen my palace? Have you seen the addition that I just added onto the back of it and the property that I got in the pond that I put in? In the grand scheme of things, in the bigger picture, it's meaningless. It doesn't add up to anything. Or what about my 401k? Have you seen how impressive it is and the portfolio I have and how diversified? It's meaningless. In the grand scheme of things, it's meaningless. And it means nothing when you die. And maybe your kids get it and maybe they don't use it right or they take advantage of it or they waste everything that you've given to them. And we work hard to accumulate stuff and maybe you're even successful because of it. But in the grand scheme of things, if this is the only thing that you focus on, it's meaningless, it's pointless. All the things we worked hard for, that we work to accomplish, it's meaningless. Verse 4, he says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. This is Solomon's way of saying, and he says it kind of sarcastically, you know, you think you're special, but you're not. You think you're pretty special or not. You think because that you went off to college or you got that degree or you have that job or that family or whatever that, that you've got a, a leg up on everyone else, that you're the exception to all of this, that somehow you have all of this figured out and everyone else missed it. Well, guess what? Your days are numbered too. Because even if you think you've got an edge or something, you've got a start date and you've got an end date in your life. You've got limited time just like everyone else. And when you die, one day they're going to put you in a box in the ground or they're going to scatter your ashes somewhere. And then you know what's going to happen the next day? The sun will rise and the sun will set and the earth will keep on spinning and it'll travel all the way around the sun and it'll do that day after day after day after day. Because what he says here, because the earth remains forever. It just keeps going and going even after you're gone. He continues writing in verse 9, skipping over a few verses. He says, what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. You know, everything keeps on going. The earth keeps on spinning. Whatever it is that you accomplished in your life, someone will come along one day and they're going to do it better. You know, no matter how much money you've made, there will be somebody at some point who will come along and they'll make more. 
There'll be someone who's more successful. Maybe you set a record in high school or something and somebody's going to break it one day if they haven't already. And 50 years after you die, chances are nobody's even going to remember you because the earth just kind of keeps remaining forever. The earth keeps spinning around the sun. The sun rises every day and the sun sets. If all we focus on is this life and the things of this earth, it's pretty meaningless. Now, there's an interesting phrase here at the end of this verse, this verse 9. And uh, if you've got your own Bibles, you might want to underline it. He says, there is nothing new under the sun. Now, you've heard those words before. Uh, They were written 3,000 years ago. There is nothing new under the sun. You know, Solomon is talking about the routine of life. He's talking about people chasing after the wind and life being so short and how we come and go before we, before we realize it. Now, if you're in college and you're here today, you might hear some of this talk and think, well, this doesn't really apply. You know, I'm young. I've got all of these years left to live. But if you're a little farther along in your life, maybe towards the second half or beyond, you know exactly what Solomon is talking about. Because you have this perspective that some of us don't have and that you've been able to take a look at life and you more easily recognize those significant things and those less significant things. Uh, You may more easily recognize the difference between success and significance. I, I like what Bob Buford says about this subject. He says, hey, for most people, the first half of their life is all about this drive, this unending drive for success. But if you get it and if you figure it out, at least the second half of your life can be much more about significance about finding things and discovering things that really matter. And some of you this morning, you get this. You know, you realize this. And some of you are struggling in this. But Solomon's brilliant here. He knows what he's up to. And all throughout this book, Solomon works hard, you know, to drive home this point. Life under the sun, life on this earth being meaningless. And as he does this, he kind of messes with us. You know, as I mentioned, you know, there's kind of a sarcastic tone at times in his language. You'll discover it for yourself if you read it. But he's like, you know, you think it'll be different for you. You know, you think you'll find an answer that none of us has discovered before, you know, in this purpose stuff. And all along the way, all throughout the book, he continues to remind us, hey, I had everything I could ever want. There was no possession that I wanted that I couldn't have or that I couldn't get my hands around. I could have any woman. Uh, I couldn't be wiser. I've got a better understanding. It's like he said, go ahead, I dare you. I mean, if you want to waste your life, if you want to waste the days that you've been given trying to find meaning in just the stuff here on this earth, go ahead. But I'm giving you a perspective that I've already checked it all out and there's nothing in it. And remember this, that one day you're going to die and when you die, the sun's going to come up and the sun's going to go down and the earth's just going to keep on spinning and everyone will go on without you. Here's what you find if you read this book and And I read it from beginning to end in one sitting just this past week. Again, I'd encourage you to do the same. That there's a secret hidden in Ecclesiastes and in a creative sort of way Solomon is working to reveal, but he kind of does it slowly. I mean, there is an answer. And and the great news is that if you discover the answer, you can gain an understanding of what it means to, to get the most out of life. You can understand the greater point that Solomon is trying to make. And the secret begins in that little phrase that we referred to just a moment ago, but it's with the three words, under the sun. And you might want to underline that boldly. You know, that phrase is used 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes and only a few more in the rest of the Bible. It's Solomon's brilliant way of saying, hey, if all you see in life are the things that are happening immediately in front of you or just the things of this earth, you're missing it. You know, there's more. If all we live for is new cars and and iPads and and pay increases and, and your job or your school or the dean's list or getting ahead or the accumulation of stuff, I mean, if that's all you're living for, 
If that's all that you see is what's under the sun, you know, you'll discover there is no meaning. And if all we strive for and long for are those things that we can touch and, and hear, if that's it, that's it. And that's the point that he basically comes to. I mean, what you see is what you get. It offers little return. And if our life is nothing more about than what happens right here on earth, about what we can accumulate or even squeeze in between the start date and the end date of our life, it's like chasing the wind, as he calls it. It's like a vapor. It's vanity. It's pointless. It comes and goes. It's meaningless. Now Solomon, he continues to to mess with us here. It's it's kind of this emotional roller coaster. He's trying to get you and I to look beyond uh, thinking that there's just something only here under the sun. And as you read on example after example, the types of things that he experimented with, uh, you find that we experiment with those too. Well, it kind of gets to this point where you feel like you're sort of wandering through the desert and it's really hot and there's no relief in sight. Solomon answers some questions about life too. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, if you skip over eight chapters, uh, chapter 9, verse 11, uh, he says this, Hey, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. You know, some of you need to hear this because Solomon is saying, Hey, there are a lot of random things that happen around us every single day that don't make sense. And they're not going to make sense. Things like, you know, the wicked always seem to get ahead at times. Isn't that true? Or the person who does what's right gets punished. Or under the sun, the person who lives a good life and works hard and is a person of integrity, maybe they still lose their job and maybe they lose their money all along the way. Or under the sun, you know, parents pray and they wait and they wait and they wait to have a child and they can never seem to get pregnant. You know, Solomon acknowledges that life under the sun doesn't always make sense. That there isn't an answer for every question. There is some unpredictability that comes with living under the sun. But then he taunts us. And and as he does this, it's like he's baited a hook and he's waiting for us to to bite at it. You know, remember I said there's a secret here that Solomon's waiting to unpack. And it's when Solomon asks, you know, what if there is something else? What if there's another category beyond this under the sun? What if there's more to than just life here on this earth? And basically saying, you know, what if there's more than just life under the sun? You know, as we seek purpose, as we look for answers, as we look for purpose under the sun, I mean, the truth is that we're all left a little desperate. And so we're willing to experiment with anything trying to find it. Here's what I think he's getting at. You know, a lot of times life doesn't make sense. There isn't an answer for every question. You find yourself in some situations or, or enduring some, some, a crisis or a challenge or a tragedy and... You know, things that don't make sense, maybe like when a child suffers or when uh, a family loses a teen to suicide or a marriage comes crashing to an end or we witness starvation in another part of the world. And, And when you see this kind of stuff, it sort of leaves you feeling desperate, doesn't it? Like there ought to be an answer to this or this isn't right. And if you see this and you realize this, you understand that life under the sun can be meaningless and it does seem awfully random. And it's not always fair. And when our focus is on this life and only the things happening in front of us, you know, we're usually left with lots of questions that don't seem to offer any answers. And you realize this as you read Ecclesiastes. You can almost feel the frustration and the helplessness building up inside of you as you go. But just about the time that you start to feel it, Solomon leads his readers to this place of hope. And go back now to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. 
A great verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Uh, here's how he starts. He says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. That our God, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He's saying, hey, in the midst of the randomness, in the midst of everything not always making sense or adding up, every once in a while, you'll stumble upon something in your life that will cause you to go, there could be more. There could be something else. I mean, wow, look at that. I mean, look at this. You know, that makes me think that there has to be more to this life than just living under the sun. And it usually happens when we discover a relationship or we get around a group of people that live differently or we experience something under the sun that reminds us that there must be more than just this life. Uh, This past Wednesday, uh, 17 of us from Genesis Church returned uh, from eight days of serving in Haiti. And it was an outstanding experience. Um, In February, we'll take a Sunday to tell you a lot more about it and how you can continue to be involved uh, with some of the great ministry that's happening through Nehemiah Vision Ministries there. Uh, You know, thank you for giving uh, of your time and your prayers and your resources. Uh, Be encouraged, Genesis Church, of the great work that God is doing in a little place called Chambrun, Haiti. Um, We left on Wednesday, one year to the date of the tragic earthquake uh, that forever changed so many families and so many lives. Uh, there in Haiti. I was reading an article on the plane on the way home that said 230,000 people died in that earthquake, but some estimate that as many as 300, if not 500,000, have died as a result of that great tragedy. Uh, 1.5 million people left homeless today because of it. And, and it wasn't like Haiti hadn't already had their share of, of crisis and tragedy and turmoil. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere today, uh, the unemployment rate is almost 75%. Uh, again, years and years of political turmoil. Um, if you travel to Haiti, and I, I pray and hope that everyone here will get an opportunity at some point to travel to Haiti, you will experience extreme poverty, most likely like you've never seen before. And even as you drive through the streets of Port-au-Prince and, and see people barely clothed and malnourished and, and not only bathing in the same water source, but also drinking from that same water source that the animals are working out of. And you make your way out of town and, and along the way um, you pass and you've probably heard them talk about these on the news, these IDP camps, uh, interdisplaced persons, people without homes, they have nowhere to go. Uh, we drove by this one particular camp where there had to be thousands of tents. Uh, within feet of one another. You know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people living in these close quarters, and they've got nothing. They have nowhere to go tomorrow. There are no jobs that are promised. There's no guarantee of any food. They're just stuck, and they're just waiting. And and you see this kind of stuff, and you see the malnourishment, and you hear about the disease, and you witness it firsthand with your own eyes, and it's easy to conclude that it's a dark place especially if all you do is see it on television. It's so easy to conclude it's nothing but a dark place. But then you come across a church or a ministry like NVM, and all of a sudden you start seeing all this light busting through the darkness. And it's a pretty amazing scene. You know, one of my uh, greatest moments, and, and I know for most of our team, not, maybe not for everyone, uh, but for me personally, was last Sunday morning. Uh, while you were all worshiping here, uh, we were worshiping in Shambrun, Haiti, under a, a big tent, like a big circus tent. Over a thousand people came to celebrate the two-year anniversary of this church, this church that has just grown like crazy in Shambrun, Haiti. Two years. It was amazing. A thousand people. 
The service started at 9 o'clock in the morning. We usually try and wrap things up in about 65 minutes. Four hours later, we came to an end. I was a trooper for three of them. The last hour, I was kind of getting a little cranky. And we had heard a number of people preach and, and lots of singing. You know, and it's like, okay, let's wrap it up. We get it. But I'll never forget it. Because as I stood on the outside and, you know, under the sun and watched all these people worship, these people have nothing. I realized that they have everything. And for four hours they worshipped and they danced and they cried out and they prayed. They ended with a song that went on for about 20 minutes. I'm not exaggerating. And they all were up in the air and their hands were in the air and they were all singing the song. And even little kids as old as two and three were mouthing the words. I had no idea what they were singing, but I knew who they were singing to. Because again, they didn't have anything, but they had everything all in the same moment. God is doing a phenomenal work there. You know, once in a while you get a chance to experience something like this and you can't help but think there's got to be more to life. There's more than just living under the sun. You know, there is a God. You know, back to verse 11. The next line is a big one. He says, you know, He has made everything beautiful in its time, but He has also set eternity in the human heart. And so Solomon concludes that everything in this life, this life under the sun, is meaningless. But one thing that we all have in common is that in every single one of us, God has planted this desire for eternity. And scientists can't explain it. And it has nothing to do with your religion. It has nothing to do with your church. It has nothing to do with whether you're even a Christian or what you think about God. But God has planted in the hearts of every single person who has ever walked on this earth this desire that there has to be more to this life than just simply living under the sun. And again, it's a longing put there by God, and it's why all throughout history, every tribe and every nation and every culture, people have always been looking for more than just life under the sun and hoping that there has to be more. And God put it there. God put it there. He he put it in our hearts. And and you and I, we know that. And and here's where Solomon's going. It's like he's saying, you know, if you get there, if you can get to this point where you agree with me that God has placed eternity in your hearts, then you're beginning to understand the conflict that God put it there, that the desire won't go away, and no matter what you experience, no matter what tragedy you endure, it won't go away, that planted within the heart of every person and everyone sitting here in this room today is a desire for an answer, a longing for more. There has to be something beyond this life. The last part of verse 3, he says, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Again, he's acknowledging, hey, life seems meaningless at times. It doesn't always make sense, but no, this God is up to something. He has never lost control. He doesn't sit on his hands. He doesn't turn away. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he has a plan for you. He has a plan for this world. There is a greater answer. But look at the growing confidence in Solomon's words as he gets to verse 14. He says, hey, I know that everything God does will endure forever, that nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. You know, again, he's speaking from experience here. He he is saying that the grind and the routine and the keeping up with the Joneses, it's all under the sun and it's random and things don't always work out as they should. But he says, hey, I know why it seems kind of random. I know why it seems odd. Now he says, God does it so that people will fear him. It's like in some sort of a way, God uses even the frustration and the desperation that you are experiencing in your life today to draw you to himself. God wants more of you. And he continues in that. And in verse 17, 
It says, I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. You know, for some of you, you might find great relief in this because basically Solomon's saying, God will answer all of the questions in the end. You may not get an answer to every question, every reason for why this happened or that happened, but in the end, it will all be accounted for in God's time and just the right time. Now, skipping way ahead, and get to the very end. Solomon concludes with two important verses as he sums up the purpose of life as revealed by God. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 13. It's like he's been tearing us down and creating this desperation, helping us understand that it's more than just what happens under the sun. And look what he says in verse 13. Now all has been heard. Meaning, hey, I've done everything that I best to cover every single bit of it. Here's the conclusion of the matter. You know, he's talking about what's the purpose of life? What's our lives all about? What are we supposed to do from here? And look how confidently he says these words. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty, the whole duty of all mankind. Meaning the purpose for me and you and how we spend our time, the time that we've been given, making the most of our time is to fear God and keep his commandments. That's what we're called to do. Now, you may ask, well, what about me? What about when things aren't going so well in my life? Fear God and keep his commandments. But I was doing that, and he walked out on me, and he took everything that I had. What am I supposed to do? Fear God and keep his commandments. But it doesn't seem to be working for me. I'm trying. God says, fear me, respect me. Do everything that you can to keep your eyes focused on me, realizing that it's more than just life under the sun. Fear me. And keep my commandments. You know, something for you to think on today. And chew on a little bit as you go from here. You know, and as I've got you thinking about your time and and your life, I want to conclude just real briefly with just a few things to say about how we, what we do with this. uh, How we process this as we go, as we we kind of put a, turn the page, the last page on on this series. Um, Students. All right, let me just talk to high school students, college students, those of you that are in that age bracket of your life. Um, my prayer for you is that you would walk away from here and you would make it your prayer and the mission of your life to pray, God, what do you want to do through me? What is your will for my life? I am committed to fearing you and keeping your commandments in everything that I do. Because you're at a great place. You have a great advantage in all of this because most likely, God willing, you've got a number of years left to live on this earth. Make the most of your time. And don't waste your time away. Don't waste this season of your life away. Don't drink away the next four years or nine years of college, whatever, whatever track you're on. Uh, don't give your body away to people who don't respect you or respect what you believe. Make the most of this time in your life right now because God wants to use it for a greater purpose. Use this time in your life to lay a foundation that will hold you and support you for many years to come ahead. You know, pray, God... I want to honor you. I want to keep your commands. Uh, Let me talk to those of you that are single. And whether you're young and single or whether you're a little farther on in life and single, um, don't embrace the lie that life really begins when you meet Mr. Wright or uh, or Mrs. Wright. Uh, Don't don't spend all of your time investing in these things. That's chasing the wind. And and it's a wonderful thing to be married. and, And maybe God will bless you in that because marriage is a wonderful thing. But if you spend your single life absolutely and completely fixated on finding someone else, you'll miss all sorts of opportunities that God wants to give you even right now. 
things that he wants to do in your life. So make the most of your time. Invest in things that have eternal value. You know, many of you have a commodity right now that some of us don't have in the room and then you've got some extra time. All right, you've got some time on your hands. Make the most of it. Let God use you. This time can have a purpose. You know, get yourself ready for who God has intended for you one day. But don't waste your life right now. Don't invest in the things that don't really matter. Don't chase the wind. Because if you spend all of your time looking for a relationship, uh, it's like a vapor. It's meaningless. It's chasing the wind. Uh, Let me talk to those of you who are married. All right? Let me talk to those of you. You know, Solomon talks a lot about married people specifically. Don't lose your marriage. Don't abandon your spouse. Don't give your life to other things or to other people that will never give you what you're looking for. You know, make this work. Don't trade your marriage for this stupid, ugly lie that there is something else to be discovered in this world that has to be found somewhere else because it's simply chasing the wind. It's meaningless. Mom and dad, don't miss your child's life. Don't miss your children's lives. All right? You get one shot with them. All right? Don't waste these years because someone else can work the job that you're working right now. All right? And what this means for me and how this is really impressed upon my life is that no one can love my wife or love my children like I can. And I'm not going to miss that, and I don't want you to either. Make the most of it. Uh, Seasoned folks, empty nesters, people older than me. You know, I'm 35, so whatever category. I'm not going to call you old, uh, but wherever you are, you know, maybe you're looking at this question of purpose and significance and time and making the most of it from a completely different lens than we are. You know, that some of us are because you've been through a few more years, all right? You've learned some lessons. You know the difference between significant and the less significant things. And you could preach this sermon better than I could. And you know what Solomon's saying here. But let me say this to you. If you're near retirement or you're, you know, you don't have any kids at home or whatever, um, make the most of it. And I'm not just talking about playing golf every day, all right? And there can be time for that. And don't go into beach mode, you know, all the time and and just completely disappear to rest. You know, let God use you, even in this season of your life right now. Make the most of your time. And and I've heard some grumbling from time to time of people who have said, well, this church is just getting way too young and they're not really committed to me anymore because I'm older and I don't fit that category or whatever. We need you. We need you to come and to make an impression on people's lives right now, whether that be a child or a student's life or a young couple's life, a single's life, whatever that is, to to, to play a part in the great work that God is doing through this church that he's brought us all together and given us a passion and given us a purpose. You know, find a young couple that you can mentor. Lead a connection group. Make the most of your time right here. You know, make a contribution that really, really lasts. Now, you may say, well, I'm a bad example. Look at my life. Well, that can be a great example too. You know, because you can say, don't do this. You know, don't do what I've done. You know, and you can teach people even with that too. But make the most of the time you've been given. Let's make it our prayer. Psalm 9012. God, teach us to number our days aright. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Are you ready to make the most of your time in your life? This morning, we get one shot. Um, We're going to conclude with this song, a song that Cameron wrote for this series. I want to invite you just to sit back and to hear these lyrics and to make it your prayer, and then I'll close this in just a moment. God, we thank you for the great reminder this morning that you sent Jesus Christ so that we could have life to the full, and that he didn't come just so that we could have a ticket and find our place in heaven one day, as great of a reward as that is. 
but that he came life and offered us life to the full beginning right now. It's today, it's tomorrow, it's the rest of this week. God, we've all been given a limited amount of time and I pray that we would use it to the fullest, that we would fear you, that we would keep your commands with every bit of our life, every aspect of our life, God, even when it doesn't make sense. And I pray that you would encourage us in that today. God, as we pray today, I just think about the men and women, the students, the children that are sitting in this room right now and there's maybe something that you're laying on their heart that needs to change, that needs to be different as they walk out of this room here this morning. God, would you give them the courage to go and do just that. Continue that work in them and carry that on to completion. And God, as we're here today, as we gather with every head bowed and every eye closed in the room, I know and I realize there are some people here today that the starting point in all of this of making the most of their time is to surrender fully and completely to you. To surrender their will, to surrender their lives to you. Because there are some here today who have never invited you, Jesus Christ, to be their Lord and Savior. You know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one's looking around. If that's you and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, you can do that this morning. And I don't know why you would put it off any longer. And as a way of acknowledging that, again, with no one looking around, would you just slip your hand up wherever you are if you want to do that today? I'm going to invite you to pray with me. I'm not going to call you out by name. um, But just as a way of acknowledging, I need Jesus. I need to begin here with Jesus today. If that's you, just go ahead and slip your hand up. Thank you for that hand. For another. If there's any more, don't put it off can pray this prayer with me silently wherever you're sitting you can pray it out loud too if you want Lord Jesus take my life make the most of my time God forgive me of my sins give me life abundantly today if you prayed that prayer this morning you can celebrate that your life has been changed forever for an eternal purpose because of Jesus Christ and we praise God we celebrate God in that today amen Hey, we'll have some people down front.